Hi, my name is Marissa Diab, um, and this is my Regeneration and Take Action final project for Ethnic Studies. Um, I did this project on homelessness, and so I'm just going to kind of read my um, research and explain it a little bit more. Um, we were asked to identify at least two organizations that are working to eradicate the issues, um, and one of them is the National Alliance Against Homelessness. Um, at endhomelessness.org, um, and they're aiming to help homelessness stay safe from the coronavirus pandemic because um, many people without homes um, who, like, spend their time outdoors, they don't have, like, access um, and, like, the care to, like, hygienics and resources that protect them, um, and they are um, basically forced to go congregate in shelters, which is a lot of people in a small sa space. And that's not very safe during the pandemic because they're moving from shelter to shelter, um, which is like exposing them to more and more people. Um, they use data and research and deep familiarity uh, with the ways programs work on the grounds around the county. Um, and they determine what policies will have the greatest impact um, for the amount of time, money, and effort invested. Um, they use this approach um, with the understanding um, that investing in solutions uh, to uh, homelessness produces significant measurable results. And um, they're identifying policy priorities to seek um, and seeks to move forward. Um, within their research and within their um, aid to the homeless community. Um, they're partnering with federal policymakers, researchers, and service providers to do so. Um, and to get involved, um, they have something called Alliance Advocacy Alerts, which you basically put in like your phone number and your email, and that provides um, anyone who signs up with resources and outreach to help fight against the cause. And that's on a national level. Um, but in um, a more state level, um, there is an organization out of LA um, at calfund.org slash home LA. Um, and they are aiming to fix a number of permanent housing solutions for homeless people in LA. And so they're known as the California Community Foundation or um, the Home LA Fund. It just depends on where you're looking. But um, they are aiming to help over 15,000 families which are evicted due to job losses or veterans suffering from trauma, um, former foster youth, mothers, fathers, daughters, and sons, and people with addictions and mental illness who are part of the homeless community. In 2016, they partnered with a network of housing providers, lenders, and foundations who committed to more than tripling the city's production of permanent supportive housing units um, to a thousand per year. So this includes early funding to buy land and secure entitlements, as well as um, support for nonprofit housing developers. Um, they partner with donors, um, nonprofits, funders, and public and private sector institutions, such as a community of friends, LA housing, or LA family housing, Path Ventures, and Skid Row Housing Trust. 
And in 2015, um, they created the Home LA Fund to help address the worsening homeless um, in like how, oh my goodness, how do I word this? The amount of people that were um, becoming homeless in Los Angeles County. And they've raised over $2 million from individual donors. So that's always an option if you go into their website at um, calfund.org slash home LA, like I said previously. Um, so we were also asked to research um, the history of the movement and like the issue. Um, and I decided to stick to more recent um, history surrounding homelessness and some of the problems that um, homeless people face as well as um, like the history behind why people become homeless. So the early 1980s marked the emergence for what is now um, considered the modern era of homelessness. And many people become homeless because of gentrification in the inner city, the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill, the high unemployment rate um, as of the last 50 years, the emergency of HIV and AIDS, an inadequate supply of affordable housing options, and deep budget cuts um, to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, as well as social services agencies um, in response to what was um, the country's worst recession since the Great Depression. So the um, deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill has roots in civil rights as and the civil liberty movements of the 1960s. Um, and this is like one of the main reasons that people become homeless. And it's created such a stigma around people who, who aren't like, who don't have housing, you know? And so this movement, um, the civil liberties movements um, and the civil rights movement envisioned more fulfilling lives for those um, who had been languishing in understaffed psychiatric hospitals through new medications and robust community-based services. So the number of um, patients living in state hospitals dropped in 1960 um, and significantly more in 1980. And there was like a dramatic reduction, especially in um, state hospitals in California, um, mainly due to the budget and the deinstitution institutionalization of the mentally ill um and the budget cuts um were cut um in billions in the 70s and 80s which um created a lot of job loss and so the two changes in policy that particularly contributed to the rise in homelessness during this period were the cuts in supplemental security income or ssi in the late 1980s and um, public inebriation was decriminalized in many cities. And so those uh, who were once jailed for being publicly drunk um, now avoided arrest and would often enter shelters or remained on the streets. And so those are kind of the uh, main like historical things I could find that were more current about the homelessness movement and um, what kind of contributed to why people become homeless and that sort of thing. Um, some of the main like public leaders that I found um, supporting um, the movement to end homelessness are um, Terry Messman, 
who for the past 25 years has worked um, for human rights for homeless people and organizing, uh, he's organized uh, direct actions and legislative change. And he created um, a whole newspaper surrounding um, like doing these things to help fight against homelessness and help um, provide people with a better, um, like a better lifestyle, you know? And um, Brenda O'Connell is a Lake County Community Development Administrator, and she helped Lake County, Illinois, which has a population of over 600,000, end veterans homelessness in their community. Um, Amanda Harris, the Chief of Services to End and Prevent Homelessness for the Montgomery County Department of Health and Human Services, um, which is one of the... Um, 14 communities in Built for Zero that have reached a functional zero um, of homelessness, um, of solving homelessness for their population. Um, she also aided in that. And then Tamias Hill, I believe that's how you say it, is a 19-year-old activist which created Team 12, which is where 12 people come together every month um, and they save money and fundraise to help fight homelessness. Um, some other organizations, um, as well as the uh, California Community Foundation and the National Alliance to End Homelessness, are the Coalition for the Homelessness, or the Coalition for the Homeless, Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, National Homelessness Law Center, DePaul USA, Streetwise, and Adobe Services. Um, the main goal of this entire movement is just to end homelessness, but this is um, achieved by a community approach with services, deliveries, and housing programs, rapid rehousing um, to quickly connect people um, to housing services and, and other services, um, permanent supportive housing is a proven solution. Um, for the most vulnerable and an effective crisis response system can help people um, quickly exit homelessness. And there are also um, programs that um, can be designed to assist low-income people to increase their income and that are very vital to supporting housing stability. And these are all things that um, if people can come together and work together can help end homelessness. Um, so methods to raise awareness and support are nonprofits and donations on websites, specifically um, the organizations that I listed earlier. Um, the Alliance Advocacy Alerts are a main resource that I have found that can really help. Um, action Alerts and e-news, and as well as the SRCEH donations and donor privacy. Um, uh, there aren't necessarily specific groups of, outside of the movement um, that I have found. However, um, whole communities and individuals have come together to help people that are homeless. Millions of people from all over the world have, um, and like this country specifically, have individually contributed and donated thousands um, to um, nonprofit organizations and charities. And communities have united and fundraised to help their individual um, communities and the people affected by homelessness within them. Um, just like Brenda O'Connell in the Lake County community. 
um, who helped eradicate veteran homelessness in their area. Um, organizations such as Habitat for Humanity and other social media movements like Rethink Homelessness have found a way to feature homeless people in a way that humanizes them and shows them that no one deserves to be homeless and that everyone's situations are different and that it's really important that we all come together and just work together and help each other. Um, when analyzing power structures and systems of oppression, um, I feel as though ideological is like the main um, system of oppression that is really ideological and institutional are really important when it comes to homelessness that we recognize um, their significance. Um, ideological oppression is the idea that one group is somehow better than another and in some measure has the right to control another. And I feel like this is really seen because there's a common bias against people who do not have housing and many people within with housing can feel as though they're above um, those who do not have that opportunity. Um, and when it comes to people of color without housing, they're less likely to be respected as opposed to white people without housing um, due to the implicit bias that many people hold against people of color. Um, institutional oppression is the way that institutions affect different groups of people. Um, oh, excuse me. People with um, without homes only have a f employment rate of 44% because they're much less likely to get hired due to their living conditions. And in that same manner, people of color are less likely to get hired as opposed to white people, making um, homeless people of color um, the least likely to be able to get a job and keep it, um, leaving them with no income to afford a home. Um, interpersonal oppression is when others show discrimination um, against people who are different than them. And this is very similar to ideological oppression because people with homes tend to show discrimination towards those um, without the privilege of owning one, and it's harsher towards people of color because of the implicit bias that many people hold. Internalized oppression is the way that people um, can internalize their own oppression um, based off of what other people can say about them, and many people without housing can begin to internalize and believe the common misconceptions of, and oppression that they face. And after a while, um, the consistent discrimination being told that they're um, incapable of help and that they're dirty and they're gross and they don't deserve a home and that it's all their fault they can begin to believe it um, and that's why it's so important that we work together to be kind to each other and to help everyone else um, and just like work together to help end the homelessness and I think that really starts with the individual um <sighs> Okay, um, the way that this really connects to race and ethnicity, I read um, multiple articles about this. And so I'm just gonna read some little like clippets of um, things that I read that I feel are really important. Um, because I, whew, this is getting a little bit long. Um, but African-Americans make up 13% of the general population, but more than 40% of the homeless population um, similarly. African, or excuse me, um, American Indians, Alaskan Natives, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders, people who identify, and people who identify as two or more races make up a disproportionate share of the homeless population. Hispanics um, make up a share of the homeless population, 
approximately equal to their share of the general population. Um, but on the other hand, um, white people and Asians are significantly underrepresented. Um, um, but sorry, I'm reading a lot of statistics at this uh, current moment, but while only 3.5% of the people living in Monterey County identify as Black or African American, 25% um, of the county's homeless population identifies as such, according to the census. Um, and I think that that's really an issue. And that really speaks to um, the implicit bias that I talked about earlier that goes against people of color and their lack of resources. Um, and across the state, the U.S. Census shows about 6.5% of Californians identify as Black or African American, but they account for nearly 40% um, of the state's homeless. Um, and the connections between imprisonment and homelessness then um, continue through ticketing, arrests, and jails, or jailing uh, under laws that criminalize sleeping or sitting outside according to the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. Um, and another example of intersection is um, that Black women has also been found um, to face additional charges while attempting um, to secure work after release from um, prison um, or jail, such as managing childcare arrangements, custody requirements, and large gaps in work history and mental and physical health issues. So the, um, and the overrepresentation of Black and Latinx individuals in the homeless population mirrors the disproportionate representation in foster care and the criminal justice system, justice systems. In fact, the study says, um, involvement in the child welfare and criminal justice system increases to the risk of homelessness and maybe creating pipelines into homelessness for people of color. And lastly, for um, allyship and regeneration, um, people who do not struggle with housing and have the privilege of having um, a home can help fight against homelessness by donating to outreach programs, providing those without housing in their area with toiletries and food and other necessities, or volunteering at local homeless shelters. Um, when assisting people who may be experiencing homelessness, it's really important to be kind, understanding, and non-judgmental. Um, many people who do not have housing um, have difficult and uncomfortable life stories, and it's really important to be completely unbiased and welcoming no matter um, what kind of mental state or position that they're in, and just be a person that um, they can talk to and be open and willing to help in any way that they need. Um, and things to celebrate about people experiencing homelessness is that they're still strong and they're fighting and they're alive. And it's important to acknowledge that not only that they're backgrounds, but that they're humans too. And they are just as good as people who do have housing. Um, they're just not provided with the privilege that we are. Um, and that they have changed and grown throughout their lives just like we have. And that not having a house at that current moment is just part of the story of their lives and it doesn't change who they are as a person. Um, celebrating that they are still here and that they are able to share their story is the most important part. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> Bye.